Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Good morning, Mateo. How are you? I'm great. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you asking the other Mateo? I am asking the other Mateo, but this is wonderful. This totally leads into, this is our 100th episode. In every episode, I always start off with, good morning, Mateo, how are you? And this is one of the few times, if the only time that an actual other Mateo answers. To come in and, so, and actually make that statement. Yeah, I'm super awesome. excited. So without further ado, we have Mr. Matt Landau joining us for the 100th our 100th episode of the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Congratulations. Welcome, Matt. Uh, 100 episodes. Unbelievable. How many, uh, how long did it take you to record those? Less than two years. Amazing. Congrats. Um, Well, it will be just about two years when this goes live. So it was April, the end of April, two years ago. So super exciting. They say that the majority of new podcasts and before 10 episodes. So you already put yourself into the elite category. Oh, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, sweet. I already put elite in, in with him, Mateo and myself, but uh, we appreciate that. It's super exciting. You know, and the reason we, we did it was obviously to talk to amazing people like yourself um, and to get to know their stories. And, and that's why we're excited to have you on today because of... If, if we were to look at all the people we've ever had conversations with and all and, and the impacts that they've had on our industry from small to large, you know, you've impacted vacation rentals in, in a way that very, very, again, high, high, you know, there's, I can't even think of the right word here, in a way that not many other people can, if anyone else can. And this is exciting for us to have you on in our 100th episode. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wonderful um, sentiment. I appreciate that. I had you on, actually more than two and a half years ago, you were, when I was just started dabbling into these uh, vlogs and video things, I w- when I was with Track, I did uh, tracking with John and you came mm-hmm. on and we talked about the first time I ever met you. And I, I kind of want to reference that just real, real quick is it was at a, um, it was a streamlined summit. It was probably six, you know, five years ago now. And I was sitting down at a table. Um, it was it was just breakfast or lunch or one of those times where, you know, it, you're encouraged to go ahead and sit with people you don't know and interact and, and get to know. And I was pretty new, wet behind the ears in the industry. And you sat down. It was actually you and David Krause are the two people that have done this that impacted me in a way that I was like, what? Um, but you sat down on the table and you just started asking these, and I think you were a keynote at then, which you are multiple times in on all different um, events, but you sat down and I had no idea who you were. And you just started asking all these, these very in-depth questions. And I was stumped. <laughs> I, and I, and like, you put me kind of off guard. I'm like, oh man. But at the same time, I kept thinking about that interaction with you. And it's like, wow, th- this guy just kind of puts himself out there and, and asks these really thought-provoking questions. And I didn't know how to respond because I was so new. But you kept me thinking about, and you got the whole table thinking about. Like you, you're going around the table, just I wouldn't say hammering's the wrong word, but really asking these questions. And people are like looking at each other, and like, "What is this guy doing?" But <laughs> it, it, like, we're all thinking. 
we yeah. were all like, like, what, where, where's this guy coming from? But it was really impactful to me early on about the, your inquisitiveness and how, and how those questions, like the questions you asked at the table, you took these answers and you turned them and you brought them into your keynote. Hmm. It was obviously by design. And I didn't know at the time, but it was, it was, I'm, I was very impressed then and, and still am today of your approach and, and how you interact with, with everybody. Um, so that was my first interaction with, with Matt. A lot of things have happened since then. You are, you know, I don't know, everyone's listening knows your resume, but you know, your, your podcast has sunsetting. How many episodes did you end up having, Matt? Well, I don't know, maybe 150 or so. It was super, I loved your podcast and it was, and I understand that everything has a, has a life and a trajectory of its own and, and the, you know, things need to sunset to open up new doors, other things. But what was, what was the reasoning? I, I listened to the podcast, but you know, before we go, before we go there though, John, let's, let's have a conversation about how you got to a podcast. Cause you were one of the early and, and, and you know, as it was a part of the larger picture of like what you were doing for the space, the community that you built, like everyone on here and, and you're not going to be exempt either. It gets to tell their story of like how they got into the space. And I don't know that everybody knows that story. So, I, you know, we don't have to go you know, too deep in it, but I, I would like to talk about that period of time from like how you got into the space into, oh, I'm going to build a community. I'm going to provide information. I'm going to give up and I'm going to do a podcast. Talk to us about that leg of the journey in your life. The, the vacation rental uh, journey began in 2006. Uh, I made my way down to the historic district of Casco Viejo, Panama, which if anybody listening has ever been, um, is a very unique place, very limited edition, mm -hmm. a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but also decades that it kind of fell apart. And when I first visited that neighborhood, I stayed in the only place to stay in town. It was a, a vacation rental collection, a property manager, as we know them today. Right. And it completely opened my eyes. It introduced me to this neighborhood. And I wasn't even aware that there was an industry called professional vacation rental management at that time. I just knew this is a really cool way to get to know a neighborhood and I became friends with the owners of that business who ended up selling me that business uh, together with a partner about a year later. I was just so smitten with the country of Panama as a whole. I, I was just out of college, so I was full on ready to do anything and everything exciting. Mm -hmm. Um they offered to sell me the business and I had zero experience other than having stayed in these things before. I had zero experience of hospitality, perhaps other than enjoying taking care of people and enjoying showing people new places. I had zero experience marketing or any of the technical uh, elements that go into a vacation rental business, but I, like so many people on this side of the fence, learned it all just on the fly. There was no Airbnb. There was no places to go online and find good tips. I had to invent them. And I began documenting all of those tips, what was working, what wasn't. 
And one day I was like, I wonder if other people would like to see these tips. And I had read a Tim Ferriss book okay. just out of graduation, the four hour work week. And there's a technique that he suggested, which I still use to this day, which is create a product. In this case, it was a simple PDF document of the best tips that I had for generating more bookings. Again, mind you, way before the OTAs were even driving traffic to vacation rentals to create four different websites selling the exact same book, but catering to four very different markets. So I created four websites. One was catered to hotels. One was catered to resorts. One was catered to bed and breakfasts. And one was catered to vacation rentals. And I sold the exact same book, drove a bunch of traffic using Google AdWords back in the day for a couple hundred bucks on Google AdWords. You could have thousands of people at your site. It's amazing. Wow. And one of those websites, again, this is the exact same book. PDF document being sold across the websites for the exact same price, one of those websites outperformed the others by a mile. And it was vacation rentals. And frankly, if it had been bed and breakfasts or resorts, I probably would have followed that signal. That's super which interesting. Which is funny to think, huh? Yeah, it's super yeah. interesting to you know, think knowing your trajectory and, and, and how it's all played out, you know, and what if it was bed and breakfasts or hotels? You know, it's really interesting, actually. Resorts, yeah. I think it's just a good, good example of, of listening to a market and listening to demand, what people want that's not being served. And that's why any argument against short-term rentals uh, for me has some holes in it. People want this product. Granted, people want this product done well. Right, right. That's um, the important part. But that kind of started a new chapter of my life. I started sharing what I was doing at my property management company. And people started paying me for it. And you're building a community at the same time. Yeah, yeah this, is, this was also comes with the territory, no pun intended, uh, living in a, a developing neighborhood as the only accommodation in town. You kind of are by default uh, responsible for community efforts whether it's keeping the beach clean, getting lights, you know, street lights fixed, in my case, a little bit extreme, demobilizing the street gangs. So let's put a pin in that really quick and talk about that because you know I'm going there, right? So, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I grew up in neighborhoods with gangs, like family, like related, like, so I understand, but I also understand in South, in like South and Central America, it's a very different story. Um, my sister worked in her USAID and she was in Honduras for years and they were dealing with, you know, actually us sending gang members back down there. So, it, and it was like the wild west. It was, it's crazy. So I, I don't think most people understand how big of a deal that is in how big of a deal it is for an out from someone from the outside to actually come in, gain the respect, trust, and actually in, in, in a bit, you know, loyalty because you're coming into their space, but you're actually doing something good for them instead of exploiting or, or, you know, just taking advantage of what's there locally. Like, it, but that's the most random thing, right? Most people wouldn't start with the gangs in the neighborhood, right? Like they, they would, 
try and hire people and do neighborhood cleanup. So like, how did it get to that? Like what, that's such a unique place to start. Talk about how you got to that. I would say healthy dose of blissful ignorance had no experience really community building or working with at-risk youth or frankly, even business. I had no idea what I was doing. So you kind of just make stuff up on the fly. And for me, it all came back to walking the streets every morning, every evening. This was my neighborhood. We had a couple places to go out to eat. We had a supermarket. And when you walk the streets in a small neighborhood, you see the same people over and over again, especially if they're sitting out on the stoops looking for who knows what. And when you're walking past the same person multiple times per day, you say hello and you say you get to know them and you notice that they have a, a Barcelona jersey and you happen to be a Real Madrid fan and you talk about whatever happens to present itself. And that is, people ask us how we demobilize five street gangs. It all comes back to that level of um, connection, human connection for me. And it requires some trust. Like I have to trust you that when we go into your house, you're not going to stab me. You have to trust me that I'm not going to call the cops on you when I see you doing a drug deal in the street. So that level of trust, I think, is the foundation for everything that we accomplished. Specifically, the first gang uh, intervention was the catalyst. And we went directly through the leaders. And that ended up becoming something very unique about our program. Uh, we work directly with gang leaders. We understand exactly what they want and what their gang members want. And, and in our case, it was opportunity. They wanted a decent income. They wanted to be able to live in this place that they love, but they were getting forced out of because prices were increasing. They wanted to be safe. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be able to walk to the supermarket without getting shot at. Right. We said, those are not unrealistic requests. Now, the government of, of Panama and most governments around the world take a very different approach to street uh, gang violence. Mm-hmm. But we figured, and I say we at this point, um, I joined together with a fellow boutique hotel owner in the neighborhood who had the same kind of stake, vested interest uh, in tourism, in people coming and not getting robbed. as as bad for a uh, yeah. For a reputation. Yeah. We had the same vested interest and we raised some money. We hired some specialists who do this sort of thing for a living. And we demobilized that first gang and we gave them what they were asking for, which was right. training and jobs in the neighborhood. And that was like, when that happened, the, the, the next day, their rival leader came to us and to be honest with you, I was terrified. I was about to get shot. Oh, no kidding. And he said, um, where, where's our intervention? Love it. So I that was when so we were like, we're on to something here. And that with some growth and more fundraising and eventually uh, an entrepreneurial element, that kind of took us to the next level. But all comes back to proximity, being close with someone trusting them because you see them on a regular basis and they're kind to you. Maybe they sat down at your table uh, randomly and ask you some weird interrogation questions. 
Right. I think that goes down to the center of what I like uh, to mean to my community. I, I love the lessons learned here in, in how this, you know, this transcribes to today with, with all the efforts we're doing. And, you know, there's nothing different between what you did back there in Panama to the, all the, you know, with, with property vendors getting to be involved with their communities today and, 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 and being a, a source of truth and being a trusted resource and the advocacy efforts that we're facing today, the lessons learned that you learned and, and promoted back in, in Panama, it's the same thing, just on a different level and a different scale. Yeah. In fact, compared to some of the people in our industry, the, by comparison, the gang leaders are a piece of cake. 100%. Fair. <laughs> 100%. The gangs are, are more, more transparent. Yeah. And, and again, but again, like that's the reality. I mean, they're at multiple levels. Communities need that. Right. And I think it's a, also, you know, a larger picture of what can be done. Cause what it's really about is it, you said it, it's proximity. It's showing up showing that you have skin in the game and that you actually care right it, it goes back to the you know nobody cares you know nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care right and then you show up and stay showed up and stay invested like that's a great roadmap and i, I would add to that we always used to reference this bob marley uh lyric in the in the program which was something to the effect of um only we can free our minds and that crossing your fingers, and I think it was from Redemption Song, crossing your fingers, waiting for someone else to come in and fix your problem is not a fun path. No. And that turning a corner yourself, taking a bit of accountability, recognizing you are part of this neighborhood, you're part of this community, you have to contribute if you want your desired outcome. I think that's the thing that really sometimes bewilders me about our current predicament in that most vacation rental managers, most, now, maybe not people on this who listen to this, but most vacation rental owners and managers do not contribute to their local advocacy efforts at all. Whether it's time showing up for local alliances, dollars contributed, maybe per night you're allocating to advocacy efforts, most simply don't. And that is a a, a very unsustainable mentality for me. Yeah. Why do you think that, Matt? You know, is do you think it's because of like a, a sense of entitlement of why they don't show up and in their, you know, hey, I've I spent my money, I, I you know, I did X Y Z, I'm entitled to this, or 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 what do you, what do you think the uh, the catalyst or you know the reason is for that? I think first of all, it's not painful enough yet. Because when something does get painful enough, eventually you have to change. Habits are hard to break. Uh, but I go back to victimization. It's the same thing we talked about with our, our gang members. Everybody likes, it's a very easy to take the victim position in anything. You could point the finger at another company. You can point the finger at bad actors. You can point the finger at a person mm -hmm. who harmed you, a government who does nothing or is working against you, it's so easy to point the finger. And frankly, working with gang members about this topic of victimization, I can now see it with like my friends from a mile away. The moment they start the victim thing, I'm like, eh, eh, <laughs> stop you right there. 
Right. It's easy to do. And I, I, I do it myself. But the victimization is a very important thing to recognize. And until you turn that corner and recognize that I'm not going to be the victim in this, I'm going to be the protagonist. I'm going to write my own story. That our, our team used to call that cambiando el chip, changing the computer chip. They almost got reprogrammed. And once you take that little turn that corner, you almost, there's no turning back. And that's what our program was des uh, designed to do. And I believe that stakeholders in our industry, when they turn that corner, realize there's this whole world of responsibility that I've been avoiding. I haven't been taking accountability. That's a, that's a similar kind of corner for me. It's interesting because I call you, I, I, you know, we were going back and forth in our, in our kind of pre-show dialogue. Uh, when I said you're the conscious of our industry. I mean that you know, not to be like, oh, like, but it, but it's true because why are we not having these conversations, right? Like why are, why are these things? I, I think there's just, there's a level of emotional intelligence that isn't brought or taught into our communities. Right. And so, you know, the ability to, you know, do things like, you know, shout out to Andrew in his book, get out of my head. Like, what are you giving real estate in your head? What are the things that bind you in your head? And it's not as simple as just, oh, just change your mind, right? Because you're dealing with all kinds of things that if you don't know how to process, become your chains, right? Whether it's victimization, oppression, like whatever the things are, but the power of understanding that you can break those and that you have the ability, as long as you have a working mind, you know, that is, why don't we teach that? Why don't we empower our kids with that? Why aren't business leaders using that, right? Like, to make our space better. Yes, on the business side, but also as you know, a community that we all want to be proud of and, and want to be a part of. To be fair to that too, you know, Matt is teaching that. You know, your your ERMB community is a is a an example of of what can be done and what should be done. And and you and and everyone that's involved at that are doing the right things, are 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 putting the correct foot forward, are asking the right questions, are listening. And it's, it's, you know, I think to, to springboard off of what, you know, Mateo had said is like, there's, there are, again, in what you said, Matt, some, some are doing, but not all. How do we get more involvement? How do we get more buy-in to, and it's not just professionalization of our industry. It's, it's, it's a consciousness of our industry to actually give a shit in the right ways. Like how, how do we do that other than keep, baby stepping along the way we are doing it today. I think we've become deeper humans. Yeah. Can, can you say it's on? interesting? Cause it's the one thing that like Vacasa and like Steve Milo and everyone support, like when you got them at the top, like the, I think part of the issue is, and Matt, it's interesting cause we're, you know, as we're building associations, this is a newer concept, especially outside of communities where like managers, like, like live and activate and like are like, especially now we have, you know, everything from coast to like mom and pop shops all the way up to, you know, multi thousand unit operators. Right. And there's all various levels of engagement, but you know, there's been an influx of people in this industry that are new within this space. And there's a lot of, I don't know this exists or like, I don't know this is out there or like, I, I, I think, we as an industry also have to do a better job of outreach 
And because I don't think that it's necessarily present on people's mind until it's too late, right? Until they're fighting something or until like something is, you know, there's legislation on the books or, you know, there's a new anti, you know, short-term rental push in their area for whatever reason or misinformation, like whatever it is, like that's, I'm seeing there's a level of kind of like just not, even with the internet, like people aren't as informed. And, you know, that has to change for us to get buy-in, right? Because it's the culture that we should be creating. And it's, it's like, like giving, right? Like at, at giving to your college, you know, most institutions that you go to or most, it's a part of the community, right? Like it is your, you know, again, you're going to college, you're going to benefit from this. You want to make sure that this institution is supported. We have to ha like get that mentality that say the state of our industry is on us. We can't like going back to the victimization thing. Like we can't be like, oh, they're coming and they're putting all these laws together. Well, I, well, what are we doing? How are we organizing as a community? I, and this is why I love Dave Krause because Dave Krause will talk to anyone, you know, Republican, Democrat, like alien, but he'll do it on the other side too in the advocacy game. He will sit down with someone that, you know, is completely on the other side and have a conversation. And that's what the industry needs more of to build solid relationships within the community, but also within the local government and any of the other players within the space. Like we have to cement ourselves, be a part of that community and do exactly what you've been talking about, Matt, like build relationships, add value and build and, and be a partner and own our stake. Now, whether that's with housing, whether that's with whatever issues that are facing the industry in that day, it should be us. All right, my rant's over. Sorry. That's a good one. It's hard because like I see like a great push to bringing coming together and doing the right things, you know, in in seeing it deeper, deeper inner us in in making sure in us being as in, you know, the vacation rental industry, the you know, whatever that may be. But I also see there there's so much financial opportunity. And, and there are dollar signs in, in, in venture capitalists and in whatever coming into our, into, into this tech space that, that they're kind of fighting against each other, like in, in which, which is like, it's not wrong for, to want to come in and, and be a part of this industry and, and to, and to make a living and, and, and to, to strike it rich, if that's the, re you know, but I think it's the reason behind it, which dilutes like the ultimate outcome, which is the, you know, ultimately comes down to the, you know, guest experience, you know, and if, if that guest experience is shit, because there wasn't the thought process and the, the, you know, the, the right things put into it for them. And it's just dollar signs and it's just, you know, beds and heads It's that whole beds and heads mentality, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting against, you know, opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think the way to do it, at least the way that I have chosen, uh, one of the ways that I have chosen is through stories. Uh, storytelling is made up of contrasts, good and bad, big and small, you know, all these these contrasts uh, that you just mentioned. And it makes for a fantastic story. Very few people are aware that a professional industry like ours actually even exists. Very few people are even aware that there are these really amazing companies, a lot of them family companies that are um, employing locals and 
They are economic engines in their communities. But, and this is a direct accusation of all of our colleagues, we don't tell our stories well enough. And it is an entire craft. I have dedicated the next year of my life to improving my own storytelling. But it is very different to know kind of instinctually who you are and what your company's about. And maybe it comes out in your hiring process. Maybe it comes out to your guests. It's a very different story to tell what it is that you do. Why are you here? What's your purpose to the world? And if you've been in an Uber in which the driver says, oh, like Airbnb, you're like, no, that's a direct byproduct of our inability to tell our stories well enough. So I think it's a fun thing to do to, to answer Mateo's question earlier. That's something we can all do better is figuring out compelling ways to tell our stories. And to do that, you need to be, you need to have a connection with your emotions. You need to be able to like share when you were terrified. You need to be able to share the joy when that guest came and had that special moment. That's what people outside of our industry resonate with. People inside of our industry will like your story no matter what, but that's actually right. not the point. Right. <laughs> Until you can really channel those emotional resonances and tell that story to the greater world, I think we're stuck in this weird little space. Nice. Is, yeah. Was I that the media? The media part of what we're doing, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, because I don't even think the potential has been remotely scratched. Like, I feel like, you know, there's, and it's going to be, in, I like what you're saying about being our voice, our own, like getting our voice out there. Cause we need a megaphone, right. Or we need a, you know, thousand foot projector. And, you know, it's one of the things that we try to do here in the whole point of this. And this is why I said, you're, you know, you've had such an influence on us and, and what we do at OBS because. You know, we understand that there's strength and humility and honesty. We also understand that in our society today, everybody just sees, you know, they, they see where you came from and they see where you end up, but they never see the middle part, right? They never see the hard work. They weren't with you shooting in the gym. They weren't with you, you know, during school. They don't know what you've overcome, you know, in your life as well as in your business that puts you to this space. And that's one of the things that we want to try and focus on that we want that we strive on this show to do is to be an outlet that those stories can come out right and can be documented and, and can be told and hold and made a part of, you know, our, our our legacy within this space and strive to continue to do that because it's the only way we get better. Right. You know, we can't if you really, you know, know a person's story and you just get the high level like you don't understand the value of what they really went through, right? And the value of what they learned coming out on the other side. This, this is what I love about what you're doing with home runners. Yep. And and you know, it's it's been pretty amazing. I've had the privilege to to see I wasn't able to see your last one. I was busy with the meeting, but I, I saw your first episode released last year of um of home runners with V Trips and Steve Milo. And I've seen uh, bits and pieces of your Casago or Casago, um, however you choose to pronounce it, um, with, you know, you're, you know, this is you telling your story. And this is, you know, let's talk about 
where you're going with home runners and why this resonates so much with you and and why why it's making a difference because it is it is making a difference well you hit a um a statement in there that that um was a, a way ahead of its time you said this is your story and i did not realize that okay so i after filming almost 23 episodes of our travel show, which is a wonderful product unto itself. We go to new destinations and we meet them through an amazing home runner, a vacation rental owner and or manager. After that travel show, we felt that there was a world of the business side of this industry that needed to be told. And Home Runners, the first episode, became a portrait of a company called V-Trips and Steve Milo, who you've had on here several times. Yep. Uh, that came from a dinner that Steve and I had. I shared this idea, like we should make a behind the scenes, how the memories are made show. And he said, let's do it. I'd love to be the first episode. And we were off within like a couple of weeks we were filming. It was amazing. Yep. It was so challenging for me beyond anything I'd done before in the travel space. Because when you go to tell the story of a company, you really have to pay attention and you have to digest. And ultimately you have to deliver the story in a way that's interesting to others. And that was all very new for me. I mean, the travel show was really just, I write an essay and the production team does the rest. So that first episode of Home Runners was challenging, terrifying, and incredibly rewarding. When we finished that first episode, it's like, there's actually a story here. This is amazing. And, uh, and, I, and we're very proud of that. And I, I would say the same is true about episode two, featuring um, Casago. Mm -hmm. This is the basically this unique franchise business model, very different from V-Trips. Uh, and it's a story about how all their local heroes in various destinations are building community, right? Yep. And it was about halfway through the home runner, uh, the episode two featuring Casago, that I had something of a, a, a little crisis, a little ex existential crisis. And I was like, wait a minute, we're telling the stories of these home runners, mm -hmm. but how can we even do that if we don't even know our own story, i.e., what the hell is my story? Right. I had no idea. And frankly, I'm still not really sure. But that sparked a massive reset in my, all of my business dealings. I love in that. realizing that I had not clearly, A, identified my story. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I the way that I am? What makes that special or interesting? To, to people until I had identified it and actually been able to tell it in a way that resonates with people, i.e. I'm not boring them to death. That was a very harsh pill to swallow, but I just took it down because until I have my story and I'm able to tell something that's the closest thing to me, how can you expect me to intimately tell the stories of these other home runners? And this was a tectonic shift in the direction of my work. Mm -hmm. Home Runners is still moving forward. Granted, 
I now have an entirely new way of telling the story, an entirely new story to tell. And that's what I'm frankly most excited about here. And and are we gonna dedicate an eps? Are you dedicating an episode to like like hold on? Oh yes. This let's, is let's, this let's is my whole journey now. Yeah. Love it. And and then come back to it. So like the the audiences are going along. It's gonna be like, wait, wait, hold on. Let like we, we put one foot like the wrong that we part put the cart in front of the horse here. Let let's let's switch it up. Let's learn about Matt. Let's learn his story and then come back because you got some other great some other, I mean, I think you're doing some work with uh, Lance and Elaine at Seaside up in Chicotig. I mean, you got a bunch of cool stuff going on. I love this. Yes. In short, yes. I, I'm, I'm really big on this word incorporating okay. lately. So that example that you gave at the beginning when uh, we were there before my keynote at the table and I, I incorporated the discussion into my speech, I'm really big on this now because it's real and it's happening, and you can feel it, right? I'm always thinking, how can whatever is happening in my life, whatever I'm feeling, how can that be incorporated into whatever I'm doing? So we are going to continue experimenting. Uh, the Home Runners shorts that we did with Lance and Elaine, great experiment. We're filming more of V-trips for future episodes. Everything will be incorporated, but... Mm. Now that I've started to do some like honest soul searching myself, what is this story that, that I want to tell about myself and what's my role in it? Until I figured that out, everything else began to sort of stray. And that was across all my business uh, projects, things felt like they were just kind of starting to fray at the edges. They weren't getting my full attention. Mm -hmm. I wasn't fully excited about them the way I was at the beginning. And it was hard. It was really hard. It was like scary to think that everything is spiraling out of control because it was. It's, it's, it's so deep and I love it. And I, it, the fact that, that you can realize that and press pause and take a breath and understand how, right, I, we can't keep going this. I can't keep going this way because if, if I am, I'm doing a disservice not only to myself, but to my community that I've worked so hard. And, you know, when I speak and I'm speaking as you and please, you know, my words resonate. And so like the fact that you were able to push pause on that is amazing. The, uh, to, to kind of turn it into Teo and I, like we had to ask ourselves recently, like, like what is, what are we doing? Like, what is, like, what is our focus? What is our purpose with this show? And, you know, because we, we came from, from a different place. Like we are two vendors that met in this space six and a half years ago, new to the industry and, and just really fell in love with the people and, and providing like UX and you like, like a guest and user experience that from a vendor standpoint, and it resonated in a way that to, that, that people that there's trust built because like we actually give a shit. And I think that you know, part of what we're doing here at No BS in, in trying to like, how do we keep, you know, can we do, we expand it? A, we don't do a tips and tricks podcast because that's not who we are. We care about, you know, like, so that's, that's, we bring that to the table. Our focus is on culture. Like we know our focus, but then how, you know, are the question, you know, you're talking about telling a story in, in media and in, in, in putting your story out there to the world, you know, our, this new project that went live, well, we're recording today um, in, 
when this goes live, it'll be like a month ago. You know, we're doing a this this project that is a a fictional murder mystery that takes place in a short term rental world that we're that peppers in like subliminal uh you know product placement of all these vendor friends of ours and these property managers that that we're all that we respect in our industry. And and so this is kind of how we're trying to to push press pause and how do we how do we showcase the short term rental space to the world that doesn't even necessarily know they're looking at the short term rental space, but put it in a positive light. And uh, we don't know how we're doing. We'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> but we definitely press pause. <laughs> yeah. Does it make your heart race? Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. Just, then do it. This yeah. is you know we don't know. It's it's uh, it just feels right. Just feels uh-huh. right. It's in Matt. So what do you? What's your advice to? leaders or people that are in this space because clearly this type of reflection is important um i I think to keep people honest i think to keep you know authentically in check with you know who and what you are is important uh, i think especially for leaders and in or anyone in our space really right like you know it takes an immense amount of courage to also do this too right especially if you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders you got a million things going on that reset. What is your advice to, you know, people that may be struggling and need and, and need to get to that space or don't know how to get to that space or don't know if you know, um, they, it, it's, it's something I've dedicated the last six months to along with Steve Schwab, who uh, you guys know as well in our Keystone retreats. So we decided that leaders in any kind of company, in any kind of market, in any kind of industry, oftentimes reach a point of success or a ceiling or even a sweet spot, they're comfortable, and there isn't a resource to go even higher. And some people are anomalies, but most of us, our instinct is not to go into an entirely new level of success however we define that. And Steve and I sat down and created a little business model uh, with small small retreats that we host at um, beautiful vacation rental properties around the country to bring that out of each individual. And the best advice that I can share from now hosting seven Keystone cohorts is if the premise of this new thing doesn't terrify you a little bit, at least a little bit, ideally a lot. If the premise of this new thing isn't just making you dread it, then it's probably not big enough. And that when you do start to feel uncomfortable, when you do start to say, wait a minute, how am I gonna pay my rent if I make this change? Or what does this mean to my entire CV, future jobs, if I leave this company? If it doesn't terrify you a bit, then you're probably not going into that level. You're probably not really tapping what's possible. And this is not like an everyday thing, by the way. This is like a deep kind of shift that we're talking. Uh, But I think at least what I've settled on is these constraints 
that we have that kind of limit our purview of what's possible. It's a person that works for us who only has certain limitations. It's a resource. We only have so much money. It's a relationship. It's a bias that you made up in your head. Any of these constraints, these blinders are currently limiting what we think is possible, right? And maybe if we're really stretching, we can find something out there that's still in that purview. I think we need to take down the blinders. At least that's what helped for me. Remove the, the restraints, the constraints. And say, what's possible here? And it might so happen that it's not a technical interviewing project that you want to do. You want to get creative and tell a story of a murder that took place in the vacation realm. I think that's a great example, but it gets you excited again. And if you're feeling like you're not as excited as when you first started, A, this is a great thing to begin thinking about. There are ways to unstuck yourself. And B, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are leaving everything because a lot of those things can actually be incorporated into like you guys are doing this new form, right? You're still going to be doing podcasting, but it's going to be a different form. This is the, sh the, the deep shift and the functional shift, really. Why am I doing this? What am I most excited about is the important part. The other stuff kind of just ends up making way and some of it ends up falling away, mm -hmm. which is also kind of sad, but that's change. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. 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 And to, to say that we are, we're not terrified a little bit, um, is, is a lie, you know, with, with this new project. And so the fact that, you know, what you said, it's a little bit of a, a sigh of relief than knowing that, you know, we, we put our, we're putting our, we continue to put ourselves out there in, in new roles as well, which is, you know, so it, I was going to say, I think we've been in this space for, uh, for quite a, for quite a while. And I think it resonates because I, you know, not speaking for John and I, but like we've had like conversations that have addressed this in, in these very specific things about our lives, our trajectories, our new opportunities, like, and, you know, again, the whole kind of package around it, which is centers around our why and going back to what you said, like who we are. And it's interesting the way that things have kind of just been put, putting themselves in place, I'll say, but it's out of this deliberate push and the excitement and the fear and, you know, uh, but also, you know, for the hope of what can come from this is exciting too. And, and the horizon, right? Like in the horizon, what's, what's coming up, you know, what's, what's in, what's in front of us, especially without the blinders, Man. it's a big, great view and it's beautiful. So yeah, I, I can appreciate that. I appreciate, we appreciate you, you know, you t focusing on your story. I can't wait to, to, to dive deeper and get a, in a deeper look into, to Matt Landau and in your story in 2023 and beyond. And we're like, we're really excited and, and we're following you on with bated breath, trying to understand what's next. And, and so, so congrats to you and congrats to, to all your hard work and everything you're doing to home runners and, and your your sunset of projects in VRMB. That's super exciting. I, I'm a, excited to see continue to see you um, in our travels. And thank you. Yeah, and thank and, you. You know, we give flowers on the show. So we're definitely giving flowers. Thank you. Uh, you know, and thank you for paving the way. Thank you for keeping fresh and new ideas and continuing to push us. 
uh, as an industry and as a space as you continue to push and challenge yourself. No, yeah, thank you. Thank With you, guys. Feelings mutual. Appreciate that. With that, I have one last thing. And this being our 100th episode, what advice do you give Mateo and I specifically for us in our trajectory to get through our next 100 episodes of the No BS Short Term Mental Podcast? Wow. So I get to ask you guys a question. Absolutely. Who wants to go first? I will. Why not? All right. So this is a, a question that we use in the Keystone retreats to, sure. to start uh, an exercise. Uh, but we look back on life and we realize that there were certain inflection points in our life, not a lot, like maybe f- less than five, in which significant change took place in a way that makes you who you are today, mm-hmm. right? And we, we call them big leaps in life. You made a couple big leaps going from one stage to the next. So my question for you, Matteo, is completely unrelated to 100 episodes. It's what's your next big leap? What is our next big leap? Yours, Matteo's. Mine? I think, you know, it's interesting because I think I just took it. So it would be what comes last. after the completion. It would be your last, it would be your last big leap? No, it it will be my next big leap will be, you know, after the completion of the guest door fund. Um, And once that is successful and being great, I will have a different perspective and can really work on building education around investment in our space and opening that up, continuing to open that up to the world, not just through guest door, but through bringing the community together around ownership. So basically you're not sure, which is great. Because by the way, when we ask that question to somebody and they have an immediate answer, it's not their next big leap. What's your next big leap is a hard question, is deep. And it requires a lot of reflection. We designed whole exercises around small groups, extracting information out of you that you didn't necessarily ever share before. It's a hard, big question, but the uncertainty there, the unknown, is the sign that your ears should be perking up because that's the real change. That's the next big leap. So my advice to you would be to think about whatever that is and reflect on it. And maybe it takes a new place in whatever your work is, podcast or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my advice. And now I get to ask you a question, John. What's your next big leap? Um, I figured this is where it was going, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I know it, it involves me taking a more responsible role in, in owning, in owning in, in taking ownership in, in, in building what I'm building, whether that be here with um, no BS or derailed, or we're doing here, or or my role at at direct. It, it's it's really focusing, and I it's and I'm not a hundred percent what the direction this is, but but owning my output and owning my trajectory, and I, I think that's my next bit because I, I I know in different in the past when I've when I've paused and I've looked at you know where what are I'm going and all right all right now I'm going to own this shit. 
it's, 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 I've leveled up and, you know, I know I still need to level up and I still, I know, don't, I still know that I don't know shit. So understanding that I don't know shit and owning that. And then how do I get to the next level is going to help me get to the next level. That makes sense. So you're not sure either. hundred percent. I lead, I led with that. I'm not sure. <laughs> Love it. That's the best answer. The compass to get there, I believe, is what you value. And a company's core values, you know, oftentimes they're written up on the wall in a cheesy way, like at the local gas station. Mm -hmm. This is a very different process when you are actually putting honest thought into it. And only several months ago, did I, for the first time ever, actually write down my personal values? Hmm. And we can share the, the exercise um, with your listeners afterwards. We've actually broken it down into step-by-step -step how we do this with our Keystone attendees. Loved it. Love that. Put that in. But when you finally settle on your personal values, what you stand for in life and business, it serves as kind of like guideposts in a way. Uh, so maybe one of your core values is uh, creativity. And that's what's guiding your murder podcast next move. It's going to allow you to be way more creative than you have before. Awesome. Maybe one of your core values is connection. And that's going to inform a, a new kind of project. And in, in that, that was my case. These retreats are a new way for me to connect with our colleagues. So that was like a great guidepost in that sense. Identifying your core values, which should be uh, overlap a great deal with your professional values, don't have to be exactly the same. You may have a professional value of, uh, what was the example Steve Schwab used? Transparency, right? I will make sure my team is fully aware of my dealings even when it hurts or whatever. I'm not letting, that's not a personal value. I'm not going to share that with you, like that stuff with just a stranger. Right. But until you decide those personal values, it will help guide your professional, your business values, which help you make your decisions of where you're going to focus, where you're going to spend your time and who you're not going to spend your time with. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a big turning point for me, really figuring out what, what is important to me, what do I stand for, and then beginning to align opportunities, energy, the way I spend my time around those things. Once you do that, you can't unsee it. It's like, why am I spending time with this friend who's obnoxious to everybody, <laughs> completely against my core values? I'm embarrassed to hang out with him. It helps inform everything. So I think that's the advice, really. I don't know how many more episodes you will do of this thing, but I do believe that if you're channeling those core values, you will make it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Really appreciate you. you. Great insight. Thank you so much for joining us on this 100th episode of No BS. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and you know give us a like on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and leave a review. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. Do whatever the like, listen, to. subscribe. Um, we appreciate you there. We will give a link to this um, core values assessment on the website. Please go ahead and utilize it. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you. Love you guys. See you. Thanks, brother.
This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.